This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the program. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few minutes, we'll introduce you to the CEO of a Vancouver-based internet app developer called Volio that's starting to lift off in the American market. It's an exciting story, and we look forward to your calls, too. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And we begin this week with another positive jobs report for the month of September, which turns out to be the 10th straight month in which gains have been reported. StatsCan released the numbers yesterday, and the national unemployment rate remains at 6.9%, which is a nine-year low, after the economy added 10,000 net new jobs, including 112,000 full-time positions. Important to note also that most of those job gains were in public sector employment. Equally important is the wage growth number, also reported yesterday. Hourly wages grew at a rate of 2.2%, which is above the rate of inflation and the best increase since April of last year. Ontario led the country in job growth. Manitoba had the highest number of job losses. The current run of 10 months of consecutive job creation is the strongest since February of 08. Last week, we told you about Swoop the new low-cost carrier of WestJet, which will begin flights next June. Well, this week, our good friend and frequent guest, Claire Newell, has put together a short list of tips for booking and flying on an ultra-low-cost carrier. Number one is understanding that almost everything connected to your flight will cost you extra, except, of course, for the cheap seat. And you need to be aware of how to avoid some of those extra costs. For example, printing a boarding pass. Standard stuff for most flights could cost you extra, so print yours at home before you leave. Same with seat selection, which needn't but could cost you extra. And check the airport your cheapo carrier is using, because some of them will use secondary airports like Abbotsford or Hamilton instead of Vancouver or Toronto, and you need to be aware of that, especially if you're making connections. And, of course, those people waiting for you at the other end won't be keen to drive an extra hour to pick you up either. Lately, we've seen two European carriers fail massively, stranding thousands in the process, and a big tip on avoiding that chaos is buying your ticket with a credit card, which will at least cover you for services not rendered. Or, better still, book through a travel agent and be covered by their travel assurance fund. Now, Claire's point is not to make you avoid using ultra-low-cost carriers, but rather to understand that flying on the cheap is just that. And in addition to bare-bones amenities and uncomfortable seating, those carriers will try to charge you for anything they can put a price tag on. The more you understand the concept, the less you will pay. Lots more great tips from Claire at TravelBestBets.com. Thursday, the Ontario government introduced legislation to ban the use and sale of ticket bots. That's software that can scoop up massive amounts of tickets online in a few seconds. And they've also, the government of Ontario, also put a ceiling on what can be charged. This has been coming since the scams surrounding the tragically hip final tour last summer. In theory, this is good stuff. But in practice, it may prove to be difficult to enforce, since many of these ticket scalping operations are 
outside the country. The Ontario government says it will give itself more investigative and enforcement powers, but will also empower ticket operators to sue bot companies. Reseller StubHub says it approves of the bot legislation, but not the new limits on resale prices, which now will be no more than 50% above the original price. Ontario's new rules will also force ticket sellers to declare how many tickets will be on sale for a given show, as well as the capacity of the venue. Resellers will now have to show the original price of the ticket and the resale price and any other fees or charges. No word on any similar action here in B.C. yet, although during the campaign, the NDP did at least mention an interest in consumer protection laws in that area here as well. We've been following the demise of many retail operations in the past year on this program, and the trend is clearly away from bricks and mortar and towards online e-commerce activity. That's why this story caught our attention this week. Starbucks closed its online retail store last Sunday, all part of what the company calls simplifying sales operations. They say you can still buy their merchandise at their retail coffee stores, but of course they can't guarantee what you want will actually be there. Starbucks shut down over 400 Tivana stores and malls this summer. And this retreat from online sales, too, is an interesting development for a company that now says the in-store experience is all we want. Starbucks will continue to sell its coffee products in grocery stores, too. But now those syrups, including pumpkin spice, will no longer rather be available for retail purchase. If you really crave a pumpkin spice sauce or syrup fix... You can grab one on eBay for a hundred bucks U.S. Oh, and are you ready for drive-through voting? The city of Calgary will have its municipal elections coming up fast on the 16th of this month, and for the first time, some voters will be able to vote without getting out of their cars. It's an experiment being tried out during the advance poll this weekend, and the city hall rather hopes it will help boost voter turnout. All you have to do is drive to the polling station, which in this case is right beside McMahon Stadium, and then you'll be directed into one of four polling lanes. A city election worker will check your ID, confirm your eligibility, determine which ward you're going to vote in, and then that worker will hand you a portable voting pouch, which contains all the ballots for mayor, councillor, and school board. The election worker can then take the filled-out ballot to the ballot box, or if you're uptight about this sort of stuff, you can get out of the car and do it yourself. According to the city, it's all about convenience and making it easier for people to take a few minutes and vote. Municipal elections have typically quite poor voter turnout numbers, which is a shame. But now there's another answer to voter apathy at the local level. We'll let you know how Calgarians take to this new approach. And so far, no word from Vancouver about this option being available here a year from now when it's our turn to vote. Those are some of the stories we're working on this week. We'll have a few more and introduce you to Tom Beatty from Volio right after this. 2.15 on this Saturday afternoon, Sterling Fox with you, joined in studio by the CEO of Volio. Tom Beatty is our guest on Vancouver Consumer This Week. Welcome to the program, Tom. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Sterling. Tell us about Volio. This is a, a new company that is starting to take off in the U.S. market. It's a very exciting story. So start back at the beginning. You're a local guy, and Volio, uh, this new thing in America, is a Vancouver company. It sure is. Our founder, Jay, saw that people were not investing in equities, which has proven to be a reliable, long-term way of building wealth. So he decided to create an application that would enable any group of people to combine their assets and knowledge and democratically invest those private funds 
and publicly traded securities. So he got together with some designer, presumably, and created an investment app. That's correct. And why, why the name Volio? Uh, it's a phonetic play on voting portfolio. Oh, okay. But the whole thing, uh, the whole concept centers around not individuals, Tom, as much as groups of individuals. That's right. It's you and your friends, you and your family, you and your colleagues, putting your money together and democratically managing those funds. Okay. And I I note the vote because vote, as you just mentioned, is part of the name. And voting actually becomes a a decision-making part of the process once the club is formed. A pool of money is created. Well, then the members of the club get to vote on where the funds are going to go, right? That's absolutely right. What makes it a lot of fun is that we're able to take those votes uh, and track them so that your club might be making its decisions. But we know what each person proposed doing, and we can let you learn from those decisions and prove to everyone else how things would have gone if everyone had listened to you. Ah, okay. So now this starts. This this started back in school, right? You. Uh, this is where the concept starts. You you find on college campuses across Canada and the United States groups of students who form investment clubs. Now, students are notoriously not wealthy, Tom. So they would be rather low budget efforts. So with that particular group in mind, you and the rest of your team at Volio created a competition aimed at. Canadian students first, and now it's American students. But, but take us back to the first competition. The TSX partnered with us to bring financial literacy to Canadian university students. They wanted them to be more aware of the listed equities on the Canadian markets okay. and have a better understanding of how to invest for their financial future for life after university. So they partnered with us, and we ran a competition that wrapped up last spring. Okay, so what what was the deal on campuses of colleges and universities across Canada? That's right. Groups of students had to form an investment club. Was there a limit on the number of individuals in each club? Uh, there was, but nobody really got close to it. We said there should be groups of no more than 30. Okay. Most groups ended up being three to ten people. Okay. Uh, when the exchange ran their own competition, it was only at a couple of schools, and they had 63 students. When we took it over, we had over 2,000 students from 70 universities and colleges across the country. Good for you. So from Two to uh, to seventy. <laughs> well, that just shows you the power of a company that knows how to communicate with its target audience. That's right, and I think that proved a great segue for us to America. And this year, it's Nasdaq. They put us up on their big banner in Times Square a couple of weeks ago, and promoted the competition south of the border for university students there. Do you take real money, or is it all about an imaginary amount of money that the same start point for each group? For the students, it's all simulated. They all have a million dollars to manage. Volio is a broker-dealer in the United States, and that's where we take real money. Oh, okay. So uh, now, is is it the same rules, same set of rules for this year's group in the United States at those colleges and universities that the Canadian kids played last year? It's very similar. Uh, of course, for the Canadians, because there is a tendency to go out and buy Tesla and Facebook and Google and Apple okay. to put on a Canadian content requirement, which oh. made it more interesting for them to buy across different sectors and including uh, the Canadian TSX listed stocks. Interesting. And so what turned out to be, to the best of your recollection, because you're all all about the U.S. contest right now, but as you think back a year ago, Tom, what Canadian stocks that Canadian kids had to buy proved to be the most attractive to our young people? Uh, you wouldn't be too surprised to understand that there were a few in the medical marijuana space. Of course. Of eye. course, yes. Um, but there were a lot of big cap stocks that did very well. Okay. 
the the Canadian blue chips. Then. Absolutely. Uh, and is that typically now as this contest is unfolding? And it says, by the way, this uh, this company's website is terrific. It's myvolio v o l e o myvolio dot com, and all of the information, uh, the background information regarding the Volio Nasdaq Equity Trading Competition. There's a mouthful is on this website. But the idea is though that now these these American students with their investment club groups do each of them also have a million to manage they do and how much time do they get to do something with that money and is the winner the one with the most money at the deadline it is yes we'll be running this competition until december the 8th in the united states and it doesn't start until the market opens on monday so oh so we're at the opening weekend here almost okay how many, and how many student groups across America have you got signed up? We've got hundreds of groups already signed up. And it hasn't even started. So. Wow. So all of this, of course, is a tremendous promotion for your company, Tom, for Volio to, to, to become known amongst young investors or would-be investors. And you talk about financial literacy. You talk about it in a Canadian and now in an American context. I would imagine there's not a great deal of difference in terms of literacy levels between Canadians and Americans in the financial corner. That's very true. We don't know a lot, do we? There's a really limited knowledge that you get as you go through the education system, and I think that's really unfortunate. Uh, I volunteer for Junior Achievement, teaching small children about the basics of spending versus saving and the impact that that has on your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you get to the university level and you have to start thinking about those choices that you make beyond college, uh, that's where this really comes into play. And we want to smash those barriers for that next generation. Uh, When it comes to to people hesitating on the reasons why they're not investing, it's money, it's knowledge, it's time, it's fear. We want to break those down. Okay. And and is fear when it comes when you – because you just identified four good reasons for people not to play ball in this particular park. But is fear the biggest reason, Tom? It is for a lot of people. It's it's the big investment world. It's just too big and too scary. It's very scary. And you've got to break that down. Doing this with simulated currency makes it easy to take those risks and those decisions. Um, You learn a little bit about the markets, and you learn a lot about yourself. What is your attitude towards risk? Right. And um, is there a bias, do you think, in the education system, particularly the post-secondary level, uh, uh, towards investing, the sort of anti-capitalism sentiment that is rather virulent on many campuses in both Canada and the United States? I'm not sure if it's that or just that lack of overall understanding and knowledge. You know, you you leave, and as you say, you've got a great understanding of mathematics, but you, you don't necessarily leave with a good sense of credit cards, mortgages, investing tools. Those, those just aren't there. Well, and you know, in, 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 in British Columbia, and you're a product of the BC education system, you're a UBC grad, you went to school at a couple of local colleges as well, and so you'll remember from probably grade 12, career and personal planning, the CAP program that was compulsory for every student in our province to take. I imagine some variation of that is still at play. I have three kids who went through the BC system, none of whom got uh, got an ounce of any good from career and personal planning. It sounded like a sentence rather than a fun course that might really actually benefit you when you get out of school. True. Do you remember taking cap? I, I do. Not until you mentioned it. I, I'd somehow blank that out. Well, yeah. You see, because it was a most unpleasant experience for at least all three people in my house who had to, they had to take it. And it was not anything that you could have had a lot of fun with that. And, and as particularly in terms of your pet peeve, financial 
illiteracy. Absolutely. What I think is great, no matter what career you go into, you've got knowledge in a unique space. And when you take people of diverse knowledge and you put them together, you create something powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, tell us about Volio as it applies. Now, you're saying that in the United States, you have broker uh, credentials. That is correct. How how did you do that? How do you you go about obtaining that? Uh, It was a time-consuming and intensive process, but we created a subsidiary in the United States, which registered with FINRA, which is a division of the SEC, for the creation of a broker-dealer. That process was complete last year, and this spring, having integrated with our clearing broker, we registered across all 50 U.S. states. Okay. So we're now in soft launch with real users doing real trades, and new users are joining every day. Isn't that something? And is everything still being run? Because, of course, it's all online, right? Uh, There are no bricks-and-mortar operations. Volio doesn't have a branch office in the United States, for example, does it? It does not. You're correct. We are cloud-hosted. Wow. Okay. What about security? Security issues. I mean, you're a financial company and you're, you're a literate financial guy. So I would assume security and the, the security technology surrounding people's personal after-tax dollars is pretty high on your priority list. It's very high. We have the same types of security as all major financial institutions when it comes to their online platforms. Okay. Now, you were talking, just we had a coffee just before we started, you were talking about an American bank or, or several American banks pitching you on the idea of whitelisting your company. What does that mean? White labeling is them taking our platform and applying it in front of their existing offering to their customers. Uh, This has been brought to our attention by an accelerator that we're participating in in Silicon Valley called Plug and Play. Uh, This plug and play program matches startups with existing financial institutions and enables us to form relationships at an accelerated pace. Okay. And these financial institutions are interested in turning their existing customers into advocates for them and their brand. And it's in a very authentic way with our platform. They create a club on Volio. They'll invite, on average, 7 to 12 of their family or friends. Mm -hmm. And those people are, by and large, banking somewhere else. Sure. This is a product that is obviously compelling to those financial institutions because customer acquisition is an expensive and difficult process. Ah, so if you've got a dozen people that you form to put this investment club together, okay, we're going to... Gonna, we're going to form a club. We're going to play. And this is for real. This is our money. This is not imaginary college kid money. This is the real stuff. Um, so you've got a dozen people around the table. Keen is all get out to play. But probably between them, they deal with half a dozen different banks. And yet the, the activity of the club is going to be conducted through one bank. And, one bank. and that will be a bank designated by Volio, I assume. That's correct. That's correct. And the nice thing about it is, in the old days, they actually had to be around a table. Now they can be anywhere. Right. The app-based platform lets them carry it with them in their pocket, and anyone can make a proposal to anyone else at any time. Is there a minimum that you would recommend, again, based on you've had a lot of experience with young people in the Canadian and American competitive uh, atmosphere, but for the rest of us who are, are now going to be your client base, when we form an investment group, what would a, what would a recommended amount of people around the table be, figuratively speaking? Figuratively speaking, uh, I would say that something in that 6 to 12 range is okay. a good number. Uh, on our platform in the United States, the average today is about 8. So okay. they're, they are doing exactly what we thought they would do. And um, how much money does each person have to bring to the table? Or is that a decision the individual investment club gets to make for itself as a startup? 
The club makes that decision itself. Uh, it creates the minimum investment. In most cases, the minimum is $500, but somebody could contribute more. Okay. It is about putting small pools of capital together and creating a larger fund. You get to trade with the authority of a larger account. You can create a more diversified portfolio as a team than you could as an individual. Sure. And that helps to manage your risk. Of course, you're, because you're splitting a single transaction fee, it also lowers your costs. And because you don't all know the exact same things, you're leveraging that wisdom of the crowd to make better decisions. Ah, okay. So then, uh, and, and I wanted to ask, it's been a break for the news here. What's fintech? You're a fintech company, right? Financial technology is anything that makes your life easier and better as it pertains to money. It started with ATMs, and now it's moved to apps and ways to better move and manage your money. Interesting stuff. The CEO of this wonderful new Vancouver company is Thomas Beatty. The company is Volio. The website is my myvolio.com. You can read all about the contest that's going on across the United States as they partnered with NASDAQ. And we'll be back with lots more, including your calls, after the news on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the show. It's 2.34. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by the CEO of Volio, a Vancouver-based app company. That uh, uh, Tom Beatty is with us in studio. And Tom just got back along with other teammates from New York City just a few short weeks ago where you had done uh, this pitch for this competition uh, with the United States colleges and universities to NASDAQ, and you won a major prize in the process. It was a very worthwhile visit to the Big Apple. Tell us about it. Yeah, the Finnebate conference was fantastic. It was uh, populated by startups and then advanced financial institutions that were presenting their new solutions to the market. And uh, of that, we were selected as best in show, along with a fellow Vancouver fintech startup called Fin. Okay, so congratulations to both of you then. And what was it uh, that uh, that sealed the deal as far as the judges and your winning? What did they like most about the Volio concept? I think we've got a platform that really resonates with people. They can see that it will deliver a good, comfortable user experience, and it is about that next generation and turning social capital, something that they all believe they have, into financial capital. Mm-hmm. And that message was uh, was resonating with the audience. If you've just joined us, Mr. Beatty is the CEO of Volio, which is a Vancouver app developer, which has created, uh, began, sort of introduced itself to the world uh, by way of a contest uh, with Canadian uh, university and college students last year, partnering with the TSX. And now this year, they're doing the same type of competition with American colleges and universities in partnership with NASDAQ. And the whole idea is creating investment clubs. Are investment clubs beyond the college campus, Tom? populated mostly by young people or what is the what is the the demographic breakout of in non-campus investment clubs historically they were actually predominantly those that had entered retirement they have most of the wealth they have the time and they're trying to do something for both social and economic good so those are the historic investment clubs and there were millions of people that did this across north america around 20 years ago As information became democratized and the ability to trade online on your own became uh, less expensive, those traditional investment clubs have faded away. We've tried to come up with a platform that will enable them to create and manage these clubs wherever they are, fitting into their life and giving them all of those traditional advantages. And of course, and you talked about this in the last segment about the table. Uh, It's a figurative table. Now, you don't have to be uh, literally in the same room with all of your club members uh, when you're making decisions. Uh, So the idea as each person in the club brings the same amount of money, creating a small pool of capital. And then the club, as a group, votes uh, on where to allocate those funds. 
Usually, do they buy several uh, holdings, or do they just put it all in one basket? Thankfully, we're seeing really great behavior. Users are building diversified portfolios, and the other great behavior that we're seeing is that these groups are putting pressure on themselves and one another to make regular contributions to the fund. So while you might start with the same amount of money, any individual can top up at any time. And a third of our users are currently adding new funds each month on a regular contribution schedule, giving them additional funds to invest in growing their portfolio faster. So if there are, say, and you said a typical number of investors uh, in one of these clubs is about eight. So um, it would help to have a, a non, uh, an odd number, wouldn't it, for voting purposes, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> because and I imagine sometimes the voting gets a little intense. That's, that's the point. The more spirited the discussion, the better your results should be. Sure. Um, we are seeing, as we've, we've indicated, eight people in a club. That means for most of them, it takes a, a five members of that club sure. to back a trade for it to go to market. Right. And the nice news is nobody has to do anything with it. The system takes care of everything. Once the club has been created, the app takes over. So at that point, it's up to the teams to make their decisions, and we'll send the trade to market when the club approves it. Okay, and uh, uh, now there's so there's a transaction involved. Now I know that uh, if you do uh, through your bank and you do it yourself, you can uh, you can buy stocks or conduct a transaction for nine ninety nine online. Um, what is your fee for conducting a transaction on behalf of any club? We're letting the teams do trades for as little as twelve dollars. It's a flat fee, and they're splitting that. In our case, oh, of course, average. Eight so members. eight people to be a buck and a half each. Right. <laughs> it's a buck fifty each. Yeah. It's really inexpensive, and uh, it, it allows them to build that diversified portfolio. I think that's the bigger key. If you're just a young person, or if you don't have a huge amount of capital, you might end up putting too much in one basket. And this lets you be an active manager and build a diversified portfolio. And are there uh, rules in terms of? Because you say that you know, ideally, uh, everyone starts uh, by contributing an equal amount. So the pool begins with. Um, uh, eight times whatever the individuals deem to be appropriate, $500, $1,000 each, whatever that may be. But then you said beyond that, Tom, people can top up as they go forward, maybe do a payroll deduction arrangement or something like that. What happens if not all eight people are topping up at the same level on a constant basis. The system does all of that in real time, marking to market. And right now, we've got a system that it gives each person one vote. We will enable proportional voting, and that will be an option that the clubs can choose. But re- right now, it works as a democracy does. Ah, you're talking Andrew Weaver uh, and getting involved in any of this proportional stuff? <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to answer that one. No, thank you. So let's move on and talk about Wealth Simple and other um, companies that advertise on TV. They say, and, and there are the target audience quite obviously tom is millennials this is a company that's targeting young people who need to get financially organized and they say basically come see us and we'll sort of guide you through the maze what's different between what they do and your company volio does I think they've got a great solution for young people. It helps them break down that barrier in a very, very simple way. They just put in their money and forget about it. We think that if you're doing it yourself, you're going to learn a lot more about the markets, about yourself, and you're not going to be paying them for that privilege. Everything comes at a price. Of course, of course. And so uh, the, the, would, would you call a company like a Wealth Simple? and there are bigger ones in the United States too, and you gave me one of the brand names. Betterman. That's right, that's right. Okay. Now, are those robo-advisors? Is that the category that, that a, a fintech company that they are? It is, yes. Okay, so a robo-advisor costs. 
Of course. Do they cost as much as a professional uh, across the desk from you advisor? Probably not. No. In most cases, they cost a half, even a quarter of what a traditional advisor would. So they're good. They're easy. And they've got an easy interface. So just like us, that's, that's what we have in common. We're both trying to get the next generation thinking about their financial future. Right. We're both trying to deliver it to them in a way that they'll feel comfortable. Okay. So um, how does one go about getting started? Suppose now they're just driving around on a Saturday afternoon wishing it was sunnier. Uh, but listening to this interesting guy who's got a concept that, you know, we've been talking about this at the shop. We've been kicking this around. So how do we get enough people interested and like-minded to sit down, entertain this notion, and and move forward? Tom, guide them through the, the startup steps. Well, most people are just jumping on as individuals, thinking about who it is that they'd like to invest with and breaking up their own social circles into those different cohorts. Are you going to do this with family? Families are a really interesting, important segment of this market. You've got a lot of adults um, that are coming into their careers that don't have a lot of understanding about how to manage their money. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got their parents or grandparents who've been managing a significant amount of wealth for many years. If we could pass on that knowledge as, long, as well as that wealth, this is something that I think would be really powerful. Okay, so do you find, and, and I know it's just, it's just starting to break through in the United States in terms of independent groups, not students. These are people who are now going to get in the game. Let's yes. get a group together. Let's form a club. Let's get rolling. Are there a lot of family groups in that crowd already? There are, and new groups are signing up every day. What we're finding is exactly what we expected. The initial contributions by the members are the same, and then mom or dad will top up with a significant amount of capital. In some cases, the parent will own 90-plus percent of the fund and be managing, of course, a fraction of those votes. Uh, but they're doing this as an educational exercise to help that next generation get familiar with the market. Okay, so if someone owns a disproportionate number uh, or percentage of the fund, then, of course, dividends and any uh, rewards uh, from the investing will accrue in that proportion Correct. to that person. Yes. Uh, and so uh, there is a, an element of disruption of democracy, too, isn't there, by owning uh, less than an, or more than an equal percentage of every, as everyone else does? There is. There certainly is. And I think that that's great. It, it's nice to see that people are able to, to top up and to add additional funds and to receive their pro rata allocation of everything uh, while still maintaining that sense of community and, and togetherness that created that club in the first instance. Mm, okay. Uh, talk to us about the feedback a year out from the TSX. This is the group in Canada that you partnered with to educate young Canadians about Volio and uh, uh, also matters financial. Now, and TSX was an eager partner. They enjoyed the experience. It's a year away from it now for them. What's their feedback now? Uh, well, the exchange wants it back and we want to bring it back as well. Oh, so they're anxious to do it again? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a great, this is a great exercise for the Canadian capital markets. And the Canadian markets are unique almost around the world in that they've got a very strong venture component. Sure. And this public venture capital is something that you, you don't even find in America. That's where they've got all of their private companies in Silicon Valley. Here they list earlier. This is something that even Volio is considering doing because we want to tap that public venture capital that exists here in the Canadian market. So for the exchange, that competition was a great thing and they want to bring it back. In terms of the students, the feedback's been even better. Oh, okay. We get messages from some of those students going on telling us about how they're open accounts and they're investing and they're trading and they would never have been doing this if it wasn't for the experience that they got through the competition. Interesting stuff. And if you go to the website, friends, it's myvolio.com and volio is V-O-L-E-O, myvolio.com. 
on on the homepage uh, in the bottom left corner. There's some pop-ups, and these are student ambassadors from all over the place who uh, have little testimonials that are uh, on the website. And these are the people that you're just speaking about, Tom, enthusiastic young people who have taken literally uh, this whole idea and literally are running with it. They are. Two months ago, I had two U.S. ambassadors. I had no presence there. I hadn't done a competition. We've got over 70 today. Wow. They're really active. They're really excited. They want to learn. They want to share their passion for finance and for financial literacy with their classmates across any faculty. This is not just for business students and existing investment clubs. This is for any student in America that wants to learn more about investing. And the bonus, of course, if they're successful in being one of the top performing clubs or individuals, is that they'll be able to pick up some real portfolio cash for them to manage after the competition. I forgot about that part. There was a, there was the old carrot and stick at work here, wasn't there? Was a, there was a significant prize. Was it ten grand? It is. It is. And the winning team is also going to get a tour of Nasdaq's market site in Times Square in New York. So if that's not a, an incentive for the next generation, I don't know what would be. So the, the team in Bellingham, Washington, is now gearing up and, and going to get involved. There's a trip to New York and ten grand <laughs> uh, at the end of the day. Now, what was the prize in the Canadian uh, version of the contest you had a year ago? Uh, we had a, a big prize pool backed by a lot of great sponsors. We put up 25000 Canadian dollars. Yikes. Okay. It was huge. And that led to fantastic participation numbers and wonderful data for us. One of the toughest things when you're a startup is being sure that your platform is ready for real money. Sure. And that TSX competition was a real help. And not that it affected our systems at all, but the first thing that students try to do when there is real money on the line is cheat. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've learned something is cool. So we built some portfolio constraints, uh, and those are going to be useful for our clubs when they try to create their own investment policy statements going forward. We haven't invoked that uh, to clubs yet, but they'll have that option to put some controls on their portfolio to ensure they diversify. Back to New York, why did NASDAQ jump on board again as eagerly as they did? I think it's a really great message to be taking to that next generation. They know that they've got a lot of listed issuers that appeal to that demographic, and all of those listed companies um, are, are either on NASDAQ or on New York. And this was an opportunity for the technology-focused exchange to put their hand up to do something with a fintech startup to enable that next generation to get started. How exciting for you, and you said there are seven of you. You're a group of seven. So, I see, there's that odd number. So, I imagine when you have votes, there's clearly a win every time. Uh, how, how exciting, though, is it for you and your team, both here and in the United States, to be a part of just on the tippy-toe edge of something you know is just going to blast off? Uh, it's amazing, honestly. Seeing, uh, seeing us on, on the big screen in Times Square is is something that uh, I think we were all pretty proud of. I would think so. Uh, talk to us about purchases. These investment clubs, uh, I guess, once you've got a group of adults around a table with their own capital, they're pretty much going to do what they please. Thank you very much. Do you recommend they buy individual stocks, Tom? Or are ETFs allowed in the contest, for example? What are the rules there? So we're an order execution-only platform, which means that we do not give advice on what they should be buying. Okay. But we're indifferent. If they want to go passive, and buy ETFs, that's great. If they'd like to go and actively manage a portfolio of individual securities, that's fine as well. For the competition, they can buy either, although the leveraged ETFs are capped at 5% of their portfolio because otherwise, that's what everybody would flood into, trying to gain the extra exposure and the extra portfolio returns over a short two-month competition. Have you found, and again, it's just underway in the state, so I'm sure that you're on a daily basis accumulating data and information and processing it all, but I was wondering if even at this early early point, you've noticed any 
differences in investment tendencies or habits between uh, the Canadian kids last year and the American students this year? I'm not going to be able to tell you until Monday because that's when the first trades are going to be executed. Oh, of course, of course. So we're but. just on, we're just on uh, just before it all begins, right? But I'm sure that there's going to be lots of similarities in their investing patterns. Okay. Uh, and for us, it's just about making sure that they've got a great experience and they get that exposure and that knowledge. Okay. And you were saying that uh, aside from the marijuana companies, which Canadian university students would find attractive. Uh, it's all Trudeau. Uh, <laughs> I guess. But aside from that particular, obviously... Uh, uh, exotic uh, adventure. What other areas did Canadian kids and young people really gravitate towards knowing that this is probably going to make us money? And given the fact, Tom, that Canadians are notoriously conservative investors. That's true. In this case, uh, being simulated and wanting to outperform, they gravitated towards the more volatile securities that were in sectors that were largely technology-driven. This is what that younger generation understands. They believe that this is where the world is going. And there is this saying now that every industry is, is somehow... A, related to technology. You sure. just can't get away from it. So okay. uh, those were largely the decisions that they were making. Now, is your company uh, a listed company? Could people buy Volio as part of their investment club, or are you a private concern? We're private. We're private. We're based here in Vancouver. Uh, we're backed by local investors. And we are, as I mentioned earlier, looking at the TSX as a potential avenue for public venture capital and taking ourselves public next year. Okay. Um, and would, uh, and again, just this is the, we have other exchanges in Canada beyond the TSX. They have the, as they have multiple exchanges in America, we have the Venture Exchange, for example, in Canada. Is that uh, include? was that included in the competition for Canadian students? It was. That was not only one of our key partners, both the TSX and the Venture Exchange were supporters, but they also had to select a number of securities from the venture market. And I think that also added to the, the breadth of experience that the Canadian investors were getting. In the United States, they don't have that same venture market. So the U.S. and students will be buying from the New York Stock Exchange right. and NASDAQ. Okay, interesting. So only a, a few seconds left. And you were pointing out during uh, one of our breaks that the, the majority of people, and you've said this on the radio too, the majority of people so far uh, seem to be people who are retirees or in that age group approaching retirement. This would make sense, Tom, because these people have actual money. Yes. Uh, they, the, the, it, you know, 20 years younger, and you have a lot of debt and a lot of assets, but maybe not a lot of money. As you get a little older, you tend to sort of separate the, the money part. That's the part that you pay the most attention to. So that's uh, not too surprising. And what did they uh, go for? It's really interesting. The older demographics are obviously more interested in blue chip securities. They're building portfolios with friends or with family, people that they want to be socially close to, as well as have some sort of a financial connection to. You've got to remember that on Volio, people are doing this for social and economic gain. And I think that that's really important. And you said that earlier, too, that people who are older uh, uh, are generally more adjusted financially in their lives, but also are anxious to maintain social connections as they go forward. So this does both doesn't it? It certainly does. That's one of the most valuable things for that generation, and I think it's an important one for us all. Well, it's a, it's a tremendous story. I take great joy in presenting Vancouver entrepreneurial success stories to our CKNW listeners, and you're just on the cusp of cracking the enormous American market. Uh, we'll get together in a few months, Tom, maybe over Christmas holidays. You can tell us how that uh, this, this last quarter of 17 has gone for you. Thank you very much, Sterling. It would be a pleasure. MyVolio.com 
is the website. Volio, V-O-L-E-O, is the Vancouver company of which Thomas Beattie is the CEO, and we wish them considerable success going forward. Thanks, Tom. Great to meet you. We'll take a quick break, but we're not done yet. Stay with us. And once again, our thanks to Thomas Beattie, CEO of Volio, for a very interesting visit and a thumbs up and uh, good luck in the U.S. market. Thanks for uh, joining us this week. We have uh, a visit from the dental pros at BC Perio on tap for our program next Saturday. Right now, it's time for the Steel Report. And today, Linda talks Turo car rentals. I'm Linda Steele, and this is your Steele Report. The Airbnb of car rentals has officially landed in BC. Turo is a peer-to-peer car-sharing company that allows vehicle owners to rent out their cars. Through the company's website and app, car owners can set the rental fee, as well as how long renters can use their vehicle for. Turo first arrived in Canada in 2016, with over 6,500 cars registered across the country. So why has it taken so long to make its way west? Well, BC is unique in that ICBC says you have to buy your own commercial insurance policy. Turo Canada Director Cedric Mathieu says they're working to make sure Turo is open to everyone. We're going to work really hard uh, as of now uh, with the legislators and regulators to make sure that we can create a similar insurance product to be able to bring uh, Turo to all individual private car owners in British Columbia. Why is insurance so important? Mathieu says because people are pretty attached to their cars. This is uh, something that's know, quite intimate and uh, that belongs to them. So uh, it takes some uh, change of perspective to actually trust in, in, in the platform that we provide. Uh, but that's where the insurance is key. So if you have a vehicle just sitting around and you want to make some extra cash, Turo might be the way to go. I'm Linda Steele, and that's your Steele Report. Well, thank you, Linda. Steele and Drex, weekdays at 2 here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. Here's a long-standing question. Is dark chocolate, chocolate rather healthy? The answer is yes. Dark chocolate has compounds known as flavanols that offer health benefits and can be enjoyed guilt-free even on a daily basis. But the portion size matters, since too many bites can contribute extra fat, sugar, and calories and negate the health benefits. While cocoa in dark chocolate makes it a healthy treat, the flavanols also give it a bitter flavor. So chocolatiers may process chocolate to make it tastier, but doing so can remove some of those beneficial compounds. Factors in processing include fermentation and roasting, which deepen the flavor and give chocolate its distinct aroma, all of which can affect flavanol content. At high levels, they have been shown to help lower blood pressure and cholesterol, improve cognition, and possibly lower the risk of diabetes. Dark chocolate has the highest amount of cocoa flavanols. Milk chocolate has less. White chocolate has none. Finally, a British supermarket became first in the world to let shoppers use their fingers to pay for groceries. Customers at the cost-cutter shop at London's Brunel University paid using their finger vein pattern to identify themselves. The technology scans people's finger veins and links them to their bank cards. You stick your finger into a little receptacle, which reads your finger in milliseconds and then records the payment for your purchase. Why this? When there are already retinal scans and other biometrics? Simple. 
It's the cost. A retinal scan machine costs a huge amount of money, while a finger device costs only a small fraction of that. So smaller retails, retailers rather, can think about affording technology like this too, where the retinal scan stuff was always just too costly and frankly too clunky. Imagine having to scan your eyeball to buy groceries. Plus, the finger vein scan is practical, safe, can't be stolen, and allows for a typical purchase time of three seconds. They create an anonymous key with your finger vein print, which they store in their database, but which is useless to anyone but you for making purchases. This is from a British company called Staller, which plans to introduce this new technology to us here in North America later this month at the Money 2020 convention in Las Vegas. I have a feeling we'll be hearing lots more about this new technology going forward. And that is our program for today, produced by Ben Dooley, with Matt Hyland giving us one great last ride at the controls before moving off to Vancouver Island for a new career adventure. Best of luck to you, Matt. Ben and I will be back next Saturday at 2. Join us then for another edition of Vancouver Consumer, right here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.